Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. That's a new song, and so we appreciate uh, Tim branching out and giving us something new. I tell you, I'm glad we bought that guitar for him, aren't you? He's done a good job on that thing and uh, taught himself how to play. It's pretty awesome, so... Uh, we appreciate what Tim does for us here at the church, and not just that, but student ministry as well. Well, if you would, take your copy of God's Word, begin to find 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, and we've uh, been doing a little series uh, through uh, the past few months called Character Sketches. We're looking at some different characters in the Bible and beginning to try to Uh, gain some truth that we could live by looking into their lives. And today, our character, we first bump into him really in 1 Samuel 16, but we're not going to look at that incident of his life today. Um, But he's a very crucial character in the life of the Old Testament. And probably as you look at the the, the span of the Bible, uh, he is a, a man that is... I think holds great influence, certainly in the nation of Israel and certainly throughout Scripture, you hear his name surface quite a bit. And uh, I'm going to, as a matter of fact, spend three weeks on this one character because uh, he, I think, um, has a lot that he can teach us in three weeks. Now, one of the hard things is that I've been trying as I come to the character sketches uh, I have been trying, and yeah, the children go to children's church. Sorry, we forgot. Um, and Brent gets up and leaves. See you, buddy. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I've been trying to do as we deal with character sketches is try to summarize the life of an individual and bring it down to, if you notice, I've been bringing it down to a, a main point uh, in their life. Davis is too hard to uh, do all of that, so I'm going to uh, need three weeks to try to hopefully bring around some truth uh, in his life. So David, if you don't know anything about King David, who is just David in our text today, uh, David is this guy that has a, a heart that is like God's heart. We're told in the Bible in 1 Samuel 13 that King Saul loses favor with God and God is going to look for a man after his own heart. He's rejected Saul as king, who, by the way, was the first king of Israel. And so God is looking for a man after his own heart. We're told again in, in Acts chapter 13, as, as there's a history lesson there in Acts 13, we're told the same thing, that God had chosen a man, David, after his own heart. Saul wasn't that kind of guy. Saul was not a guy who had a heart after God. He was a guy who had a heart after himself, full of pride, full of arrogance. And instead of waiting on the proper procedure, he unlawfully offered some sacrifices to the Lord. And as a result of that, lost his kingdom. But not only did he lose the kingdom, but his whole family line lost the kingdom. And we would find in 1 Samuel 16, little David, the shepherd boy, is anointed to be the successor. He's going to be the next king of Israel. And God chose him not because 
He was good looking, and he was, by the way. Not because he's going to be a great warrior, and he will be, by the way, but because he had a heart to follow. And I love what God says about him. A heart after his own heart, but we get a little definition of that, and that means that he will follow and accomplish the will of God. If you and I are going to have a heart after God, listen, it's not just to pursue him. That's not all David did. David just pursue God. But in having a heart after God, he was one who took God's will seriously and put it into action in his life. So it's not just about pursuing God. That's not what makes you a man or a woman after a heart, a heart after God. We ought to be doing that. And we ought to, when we pursue God, we diligently do that. God says we'll find him. But really to be a man or a woman with a heart like God means that we're going to listen, obey, and follow through on the will of God. Amen? And that's both, listen, that's both his known will in the scripture. And I've reminded you a million times that, you know, the known will of God in the scripture, we get about 90% of what we need to be doing out of there. And if we don't follow the scriptures, you know, we're following the wrong. And, I, and I'm a firm believer that 10% of the will of God in my life has been hindsight. When I look back, I go, oh, now I know I went through this crisis or now I know why God moved me here or did this in my life. And I sort of begin to discover and I come into what God sovereignly was doing through my life as he was working in and around me to bring me into his will. And so it's about following God's will. Are you willing to follow God's will? Now, today it's no accident that I'm going to be preaching on courage. And I'm going to be looking um, at 1 Samuel 17, a very familiar story if you've been in church, around church a long time. It's David and Goliath. Now, when you look at David and Goliath and you look and if you were to do a search on sermons or teachings or children's lessons. You know, we, we, they all talk about facing giants in your life. And that's one of the things we want to talk about this morning. But one of the things I want to hone in on is the fact that this young man, he had courage. Now, he had courage to face the giant. Now, what brought about that courage? I, I think we miss that in the story. I think oftentimes we want to you know, dramatize the story, and, and you've seen it right on videos. They got some massive giant of a guy and some little kid, you know, that's going up against him with a sling, and they do these little portrayals. And, you know, it's sort of like this victory story. We think, man, he had this great victory. God gave him this great victory. But we often forget the backstory of that. We forget why is it that he was so successful? Why is it that he had the courage that he had when nobody else had courage? Because I want you to understand something. Goliath is not a small guy. All right? You say, well, no duh, preacher. I know that. I know the story. Well, the truth of the matter is, not only is he a big, massive guy... But the Bible tells us that since the time he was probably David's age, he was already a warrior. So this guy has been at fighting for a long time. This is a skilled warrior. I mean, this is like Navy SEAL, right? This is like the guy who has been there, done that. He has killed a lot of people. He has won a lot of victories. And, and from the text, what we find out is that probably a lot of his victories that he won were one-on-one -on -one kind of victories. The kind that he's going to set up in the text of the story today is a one-on-one -on -one battle. You may not remember the story, but it says in the text that he told the nation of Israel, hey, you send forth one guy to come out and to fight me. And here's what we'll do. If I win, you become my slaves. If you win, then the Philistines become your slaves. 
So, so there's this one-on-one combat. Now, any guy that's been in here has been in war will tell you that it's a whole lot harder when you get one-on-one. You're face-to-face with an enemy. You, you may be overpowered. You may be overtaken. So it's not necessarily a pleasant thing to go hand-to-hand combat. And the movies make it glorious. They make it look wonderful when Chuck Norris does his little spin-around you know, roundhouse kick and takes the bad guy out, you know, and that looks great and wonderful. But here we're talking a real battle. We're talking a real fight with a nine-foot-and-a-half-inch guy. This guy's huge. This guy's huge. And I was reminded this morning, that's taller than the car bumper at Chick-fil-A. It's nine foot tall. Think about that. And so he couldn't even go under the, the guard for your vehicle there. Jerry, he couldn't, he could not only take his pickup truck in the Birmingham hospital garage, but he couldn't walk in there. That's a joke, by the way. He knows what it means. That's why I like preaching at home. I can say those kinds of things and get away with it, but. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to sort of look at the text from the idea of courage. Now, I don't normally like to do this, but I'm going to give you the punchline up front. You know, usually when you give the punchline to a joke, joke before you give the joke, it's, it kind of ruins it. But I want to give you sort of the punchline. So I want you to write this down. Here's sort of the, the main thrust of what we're going to do. True courage, here it is, true courage to fight the giants in your life. We're going to talk about what that means here in a minute. Is a byproduct. Notice what I just said. True courage to fight the giants in your life is a byproduct. So it's not the main thing, right? It's the result of something else of our faith and trust in the Lord. See, faith comes first, then courage. See, we have to, we have to trust that God can do what God says he can do before we really have the courage to face what we got to face. See, so many times what we try to do in the Christian life is we try to make it on our own. We try to do our own thing. We try to pray more. We try to read our Bibles more. We try to serve more. We try to do all these more things. And we wonder why the victories don't come. It's because what we're doing is we're in our flesh trying to do what God can enable us to do through his spirit if we would just be yielding, if we would just be trusting, if we would by faith walk with him. What is God looking for? God is looking for not for us to pray harder, to read our Bibles more, to serve harder. No, God is looking for men and women who have a heart after his own heart, but for those who will diligently seek him. That's what God desires the most. He wants us to long for him. Do you long for God? And out of that longing, out of that walk with God, out of that desire, out of that, that action of pursuing after him, I can have courage because then it's built on my faith in him. So as I pursue him, I know him more. He's revealed to me through the word of God. And then through that revelation, as I get to know him, I see how he works in the word. I see how he's worked and been faithful in my life. And that gives me the courage to press forward, whatever the giant may be. And we can talk about giants in life. What are some giants in life? I'm going to tell you some of the giants in the life you know, in my life, you know, have been, you know, looking at maybe a sickness. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's, you know, some other things that have happened. Maybe it's just some challenges at work. You know, 
Sometimes it's family challenges. Maybe it's a, it's a struggle going on at home that you have a family challenge going on and it's like a giant in your life. It's sort of paralyzed you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what giants are, right? If we look at it, you know, not from the perspective of an actual physical nine foot, five inch guy, but we look at it from the perspective, you know, that in our lives, we allow these things to creep up and they, they sort of paralyze us. And when you look at the text of scripture today, and we're going to begin in the text, I promise we're going to get there. When, when you begin to look at the text of scripture, that's exactly what happened to this guy named Saul, who's the king. And that's what happened to all of his warriors. They, they got focused in on the giant and forgot about God. And what happened to them? Well, let's look at the story. Notice the beginning of the text. I want to, first of all, in 1 through 11, we're going to talk about Goliath's taunting and Israel's fear. Begin in the text of verse 3. It just sort of sets up where they're at in the valley of Elah in the battle array against the Philistines in the verses 1 and 2. And then it says in verse 3, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel's on the other side of the mountain. And it says in the valley of between. So the valley of Elah is in between. You got two armies on opposing sides. And they're looking over this valley. And notice what begins to happen. And a champion, verse 4, went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, nine and a half feet tall. Big guy, big, big guy. As a matter of fact, the largest man ever recorded so far in recorded history was eight foot 11. He was born here in the United States in 1918. Robert Wadlow was his name. And uh, he was a massive guy. But think about this, only eight foot 11. We're talking about nine foot five inches. He towers over him. This is a big guy, right? You get the, you get the image in your head? And so he says this champion. Now notice, he's not some peon. He's not some little warrior. This guy's a champion. He's won the battles. This is a victory. And he goes on in verse five and says, and he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. That is this armor coat. And it says, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. About 126 pounds. And not only did he have that, but he said in verse 6, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Now many commentators have struggled. What does this mean? But it, it's the idea that it's probably in its look, that it's massive, it's large. And some even believe that it was really just more of an intimidating stick than it was really used to fight. Because they said if it was like a weaver's beam, it may even have some cloth weaved into it. So they're saying maybe it was just more of an intimidating factor. I don't really know. They don't really know beside what we're told here. And then notice it says, then his um, tip of his spearhead, the Bible says was of iron and it weighed 600 shekels. We're talking a little over 15 pounds. So you just get the idea that this guy is able to handle quite a bit of weight on his own person. Then notice in verse 8, because this is where we really get into the meat of the problem. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? He says, Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he, he said, We will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that I may fight or that we may fight together. Verse 11. And when Saul, and by the way, when you go back and you find that Saul was nominated to be king or anointed to be king, Saul is not a small guy. He's over six foot tall. He's a burly feller. He's not a small guy himself. All right. So he is a great warrior as well. And so Saul, even the king and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine and notice what it says. And they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear struck their heart. They didn't know what to do. They had this giant before them and nobody was crossing the line. Nobody was going out to fight. Why? Because they're afraid. (laughs) The idea is that they're paralyzed. They're, They're stuck in their shoes behind the line because they're too afraid to go forward. Why? I think it's simply because they forgot who they were fighting for. They weren't just fighting for Saul. They weren't just fighting for Israel. Listen, this is God's people. God has done some tremendous things for them. And yet they forget all of that. And notice what happens. They have no faith and they're paralyzed. Isn't that what happens to us? Man, let a situation come up in our life. And we get our eyes focused on that situation in our life that's maybe not an easy situation to be going through. And what happens to us a lot of times? We get paralyzed. I don't know if the, I'm that way. I don't know if you're the, that way. Maybe I'm just the only one in the room that gets that way. But I get paralyzed sometimes. I sort of look at the situation and I sort of look at it from, you know, 15, 20 different angles and think, well, how's this thing going to work out? And I look at all the way they're going to work out and they don't seem like they're going to work out right. And it sort of makes me stuck in fear. And then I do what I should have done at the beginning. I turn my eyes to the Lord. I begin to pray. I begin to seek his face. And isn't it interesting when you begin to do that, whether the situation disappears or not, and listen, a lot of times it never disappears, I begin to find joy and I begin to find peace in the midst of that. And then it seems like the situation begins to work out. Not always, listen again, not always to the favorable side. This whole idea of this wealth, health, prosperity preaching is garbage. I'm here to tell you, we were talking in our Sunday school class today. Listen, you didn't have any problems. I didn't have any problems until I became a Christian. Listen, when I became a Christian... That's when the world and the devil and my flesh began to rear its head. Amen? You're talking about fight. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. Wealth, health, prosperity guys forgot all about that, didn't they? So just because you begin to seek God, just because you begin to turn the problem over to him and and God begins to work, it may not be necessarily that you're going to rise up and defeat the problem. Sometimes you're going to rise up and be victorious with God and the problem is still going to be there. Because listen, bosses don't always leave. Amen? You with me? If you're, you're having a problem at work and God begins to give you peace and victory because you began to pray, your boss may still be there. And listen, he may still or she may still give you the hard time that you've been getting. But you're able to deal with it because you got your eyes on God. Your faith's been adjusted to look at him, Right? rather than the the problem of the boss. And so they look at the giant and they're paralyzed. They can't move. They have no courage. And so in comes David, right? David comes to the storyline and what a great transitional story, right? Because you got David anointed king. He's playing the harp for the king. And the next thing you know, here's David coming on the scene, not intending to be a great warrior, 
But he's going to end up being one, isn't he? I mean, he's sort of going to steal the thunder of the crowd. Notice what begins to happen in the text. As you look at David's courage in verses 12 and following, he says, Now David, he says, was the son of Ephorite of Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse. He said, and he had eight sons, that is Jesse, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now, many things what we forget is that what he's going to describe to us is that David sort of comes and goes from the battle line. Now, one of the things we forget is that when David was summoned to play the harp for Saul, Saul loved him. And the Bible says that Saul made him his armor bearer. So he had some kind of official title. And we forget that sometimes. So David would sort of go from the front line back home, back to the front line. And in this particular case, he's going to be like a courier. He's going to be bringing from his father's house some food for his brothers, but also for the captain, okay, who's in charge of them. So he's going to act sort of as a courier as he comes up. So the Bible says in verse 13, and the three oldest of Jesse's sons, he said, it followed Saul into battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Elab, the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab. And then the third, Shammah. David, in verse 14, was the youngest. Now we're reminded time and time again how old he is of the three oldest who followed Saul. So David occasionally went up and returned to Saul. And he said to feed his father's sheep to Bethlehem, or at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And so David leaves, he comes back. Leaves and comes back. Now he's gone. He's going to come back and bring some food because his dad sends him there. I can't finish reading all that text. We'll be here all day. And he brings the food up and he sees this scene that's going on. By the way, that has been going on 40 days. And so notice what happens in verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went uh, as Jesse had commanded him. And when he came to the camp of the army, he said, uh, excuse me, as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle, for Israel and the Philistines had drew up a battle array, army against army, but nobody would go against just Goliath, right? They were afraid to do that. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran, he says, to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And he says, then as he talked with them, he said, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. There it is again. Verse 25, and so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David says, say what? Repeat that. But not before he realizes who the enemy is. He says in verse 26, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You hear it? Now notice what he says in verse 26. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Now you're putting some perspective in. David's changing the story a little bit, isn't it? Up to this point, God's not involved. 
We don't hear God being mentioned, do we? And what infuriates David is not just the fact that this guy is out there taunting Israel, but he's out there taunting the armies of the living God. A little different, isn't it? We're talking about God. And so now he's thinking, hey, you are defaming God's honor. This is God you're talking about. If you pick on us, you're picking on God. Amen? Remember when Paul, who was going around persecuting the church, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, what happened to him? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus equated himself with the church, didn't he? Because we are his body. We belong to him. God told Abraham, anybody curses you, guess what? They got to deal with me. And so here they are. They're out in battle. The Philistine is running his mouth and David's bringing God into the equation and changing the whole story around to make sure that we understand that it is God who is being defamed here in the text. Now notice as his faith begins to grow. So look at David's faith as it begins to grow, as he begins to talk further on. I want you to slip down and look at verse 32. It says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. He says, For you are a kid or a youth. Now listen, that doesn't necessarily mean he was 10 years old. All right, this means that we at least know he was under 20 years of age because if you look at the scripture, at least 20 years of age or higher, then you could go to battle. If you were under 20, you stayed home. You didn't have to fight in the battle. So we at least know he's under 20 years of age. We're not told exactly what age he is. So sometimes we see him portrayed as a a little 10-year-old kid or 12-year-old kid. We're not really sure. Most commentators believe most likely he was somewhere maybe around the age of 16, 17 years of age, which is still a, a young kid, right? Still a young person. And so David says to the king, listen, don't worry about it. I'll go out and fight him. And so the story gets kind of funny from there because you're a little boy. You're not going to be able to do it. And David has to remind him, said, let me just tell you something. He said, I've been up against some fierce enemies. I've been up against a lion and I won. I've been up, been up against a bear and I won. And notice what he says in the text. He says in verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and delivered me from the paw, he says, of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord with you. There it is again. David said, listen, the same God that brought me through in the past against fierce enemies will be the God who brings me through today. How is it that we forget what God has done for us? How many of us in this room could say that when we were in dire straits in the past, God was with us and delivered us, that that God gave us victories in our life, and yet we fall prey to the same downward spiral thinking when things begin to happen, don't we? We, Where's God? You ever ask that question? God, where are you at? Do you not see what I'm going through? And God's saying, hey, do you remember where I was before? I was with you. I walked with you. I promised to never leave you nor forsake you. If you seek me, you would find me, right? But we don't. We get dismayed again. We let our problems take take over. And here David says, you know, king, I'm not worried about it because see, the God that 
that delivered me then, he's with me. And he's going to help me defeat this guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him. And so the king says, all right, go for it. Let's see what happens. And so notice verse 40. David is going to go to battle. He says, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he said, and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. And so the Philistine came and began to draw near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. So he had a, an armor bearer himself. And when the Philistines looked about and saw Excuse me, the Philistine looked about and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So he's a good-looking kid, right? Verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David with his gods. There's blasphemous talk, right? So he's cursing David. And the Bible goes on and says, and the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you, notice he says, in the name of the Lord. So I'm coming to you in the power and the might and all that comes in the sovereignty of the Lord God. I come before you, he says. And it's the Lord God of the host, the Lord of the Almighty, the Lord of the armies, he says. He says, of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. So the battle, listen, the battle is the Lord's, right? It's the Lord's honor that's been called into question. But David's going to be the one that God is going to give the courage to to go out and fight because David has a, a heart like God's heart. He is a man of faith. He has trusted God, and so he's not paralyzed with fear like the rest of these guys are paralyzed. And so what does he do? He goes out and he fights. And the Bible tells us probably the greatest three, four verses we need to read is 45, 46, and 47, because we see his faith being expanded. Verse 46, he said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. There's his trust. There's where his power is coming from. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass, he says, of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He says that all the earth, here it is, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Listen, God hasn't left Israel. God hasn't left you. Amen? What testimony is it if God leaves you? That God's unfaithful? May it never be because God is not unfaithful. Amen? So God is not going to leave you. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been born again. God is not going to leave you. He's already promised that. And if he was to leave you, he would break his promise, which he cannot do. Because God cannot lie. And so David reminds them, not only the Philistine, but listen, you can imagine the people listening in the back. Hey, guys, God hasn't left us. And I, I want you to know when this guy falls down dead, and listen, when we defeat the Philistines this day, I want you to understand something. There are people who are going to know that God is sovereign, that there is a God in Israel. He hasn't left us. And he hasn't left us as individuals either, as followers of Christ. Then he says in verse 47, then all the assembly... He said, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's, he says, and he will give you into our hands. So not only, listen, not only the world, but listen, the assemblies. He's going to remind the people of Israel. Listen, sometimes as Christians, we need to be reminded that God is with us, that God gives us victory, that God holds true to his promise. 
Well, what happens? Well, David's victory. He goes out. And I love the story. It says that Goliath begins to approach David. But it then says David began to catch a little speed. He began to run. And as he ran out, he grabbed that sling and he began to sling, swing it around. And he let go of that stone. And the Bible says that it hit his forehead and actually embedded inside, didn't it? I mean, it broke the, the bone there. I don't know how hard it would be or how much force you need to break that bone there. I got a little scar right there. I fell one time and hit my head, but I didn't break anything. I just got a little scar there. I got a hard head, you know. Um, I don't know how much force it takes, but I'm going to tell you right now, by the power of God, it didn't matter. When that rock hit that guy, it went in and he fell on it. I love it. The Bible says he fell on his face. And you know what David did? David went out there and cut his head off. And David took his head back to Jerusalem. You know why? Say, hey guys, listen. Listen, God's with us. By the way, was this the first time that the nation defeated giants? Most likely not, because you remember the report that came from the land of Canaan, right? There's big people in that land. We're like grasshoppers. There's already some big people there. Guess what? They beat them, didn't they? They came in and conquered the land. They were already victorious because of God. Boy, how much do we forget what God has done for us when we're up against another wall or another giant in our life. Folks, listen, if we're going to have courage to face those, it's going to start with our faith. Pursuing and seeking after God, trusting him, relying upon him, remembering his promises. Maybe because we need to read them again, huh? Maybe we need to do like the old song says, count our many blessings. Maybe we need to keep a journal so that when those days are tough, we can read back in our journal when other days were tough and God answered our prayers and God was with us. Maybe those are things that would help us along the journey. But one of the things for certain, you don't defeat giants by just a sling and a stone. You beat it by the might and the power that God gives. And that's what David did that day. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.